0: I don't think I've ever gotten up to preach at an hour left in the service, so hold on to your horses, people. <laughs> if uh, you have your Bibles or your apps with you, you can take and flip to uh, Titus chapter 2. That's the main passage that we're in. If someone is sitting close to you and you want to have them flip to Matthew 28, uh, you can do that or uh, put your thumb on your device. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Put your thumb on your page and find those two passages, and uh, we'll look at those in just a few moments. What crazy weather out there, huh? Winter is upon us, and so all of the uh, challenges that we've been facing with this pandemic or probably just going to get a little worse. And uh, so I want to encourage you this morning uh, to stay the course that he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And uh, the one nice thing about being a Christian is I've read the back of the book and we win. So that's good news. uh, Good news. One of the things that we do notice with the COVID pandemic hitting our world, one of the things that scientists are learning is that that it it really does uh, seem to target and hit harder with older people. The older you are, the worse this virus hits you. Uh, The more complications you will wind up probably having, the less likely that you're going to just breeze through it and the more likely that you may even die from it. Italy was one of the hardest hit countries in Europe and uh, we know that Italy is also the oldest. Uh, population in Europe. About 23% of Italy is uh, over the age of 65, so almost one in four people are retirement age or older. The median age in Italy is 47.3 years old, and that compares to Saskatchewan's median age, which is about 10 years younger at 37.8. So, we're definitely seeing more cases that are filtering down through our whole population, hitting the younger people who maybe are getting a little tired of social isolation. Um, we're seeing more cases, but we still continue to see that the highest death rates from COVID are amongst the elderly. And Canada is getting older. We are. There has actually never been a society since the time of Noah that has lived as long as we do. Here in Western society, we live a long time. Material comforts, great medical care, and a low birth rate all contribute to something called the graying of America. And yes, we live in North America, and so we are included in that term. Here's a quote that I found from a seniors' website. It says For the first time, there are more seniors than children in our country. There are 5.8 million children in Canada, slightly less than the population of seniors. Children make up 16.6% of the population, while seniors make up 16.9%. Sobering statistics. Bob Hope jokes that you know that you're getting old (laughs) when the candles cost more than the cake does, (laughs) all right? Um, It's good that Jerry is here, right? Jerry is officially invited in his fire capacity to all of our birthdays to make sure that that we're doing that sort of a thing safely. I remember once someone joked to me and they said, how do you know if you're old or not? And I said, hmm, that's a good question. How do you know? He said, deliberately fall down in front of a group of people. And if everybody laughs at you, you're okay. You're still young. And if everybody's like, oh, are you okay? Then you know you're old. So I thought that was interesting, but I'm so old that I don't want to deliberately fall down in front of anyone in case I break a hip. Okay? There is also a sadness to getting old. Right? Bob Hope jokes aside, we start using that phrase, youth is wasted on the young. Have you used that phrase? I found myself using that phrase on my teenage son just this week. You know what that actually means? It means that we are looking back on our lives and we're thinking there was some wasted youth there. We look back on all the years behind us and we go, man, I spent a lot of time and energy on things that don't really Matter. We are regretting our own wasted youth. It's not so much a judgment on the youth of today. It's much more a regret in our own minds. We wish that we had spent more time doing the things that really matter. And so this morning, we're in Titus chapter 2, and it's in our series called COVID Church. We have reminded ourselves that uh, the big picture idea is that after this is all over, God does not want us to go back to normal. He doesn't want us to go back to normal. Whatever normal was a year or a year and a half ago, God has no interest in that. He doesn't want the church to go back to the church that it was because that church, for all that it did lots of good, That church had a lot of problems to it as well. And that church was in a society that was becoming increasingly more and more non-Christian. We were not making a difference in our society. And so God doesn't want us to go back to normal. He wants us to go back to basics. And Pastor Darren and I have been talking and praying about this all summer. and, And really asking ourselves, like, what are the basics. If we're supposed to go back to the very heart and foundation of who we are and what we believe to be true and, and, sh- and just kind of get rid of everything else that doesn't matter quite as much as we think it does, what is the basics? And we came up with four things. We came up with four basics that we as your pastors feel like we want to call ourselves and us back to. And so we, we talked about a deeper commitment to God's Son we want, we want to be completely committed to Jesus, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He is our king. He is the one who shapes us. And so a deeper commitment to God's son. Be his disciple secondly we said a deeper commitment to god's word this book is unique among all the other books that have ever been written this book contains the thoughts and the mind of god and by reading this book this is how we find out who god is and what he's like and how much he loves us and how we're supposed to live and so we're calling ourselves back to a deeper commitment to god's word that was last week's sermon and now, because of the storm that's raging out there, I got a phone call on Friday. Some of you were maybe expecting to see Dallas Block and, and the rock-solid guys here, and uh, unfortunately, we, we, we talked on the phone on Friday, and we just decided that with the forecast being what it was, that it might be better for them to stay home this week. And so uh, they decided to do that. So um, so if you're putting two and two together, you know that this sermon is a Saturday special, but that's okay. And uh, we're hoping and looking forward to Dallas and the rock-solid guys coming in, I think, two weeks. So we're going to preach the last two out of order. Today I'm speaking about a deeper commitment to God's mandate, the fourth one. And then next week, Pastor Darren is going to challenge us, and he's going to talk about a deeper commitment commitment to God's attitude let this mind be in you which is also in Jesus Christ we have to have his attitude so God's mandate what is a mandate a mandate is instructions it's a commission it's God's to-do list for you it's what God wants his church to do and if there's any clear passage in the Bible where it gives the mandate of God it's probably Matthew chapter 28 18 to 20 This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and you probably don't even need to turn to it. Many of you even have this memorized, or you know what it says, right? Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Now, as long as you're coming to Bridgeway, and as long as I'm lead pastor here, you're going to get tired of hearing that verse, okay? There are two things that I think are critical to the church, and two things that I think the church, when it does well, focuses on, and there are two things that when a church is not doing well, it may, not, it may be getting distracted by other things. That's the great command And the great commission. The great command is in John 13. Love one another. As much as you sometimes drive each other crazy, as much as Pastor Nick sometimes irritates you, love one another. All right, John 13. And then the great commission. Go, make disciples. Now that's a straightforward passage of Scripture, and we think we know what it means. And we might not know what it means. Because I want you to just take a real close look at it right here. Two weeks ago, we talked about being a disciple, about following God and how I need to deepen my commitment to God so that I can follow him and be his disciple. Though none go with me, still I will follow, right? But here's the thing. It actually doesn't say anywhere in the Great Commission that we're supposed to be disciples. What does it say? It says that we are supposed to go and make disciples. That's what it, it actually says. We're supposed to go and make disciples. And I think sometimes, here's where we often get it wrong in the church, right? We get all excited about our own walk with Jesus, just you and me, Jesus, right? We, we, we kind of commit ourselves fresh to him, and we think we're going to follow him, and we focus so much of our time and our energy and our passion on, on becoming this better disciple, this better follower. We want a, a deeper commitment to him. We read books that tell us to be more radical in our obedience to him, and we get all excited about the spiritual disciplines, right? I can pray for Jesus. I can fast for for Jesus I can give money for Jesus and all of it is designed to make me more like Jesus and it's possible in all of that process that we can totally miss the mandate the command the instructions that our God gives us he says go and make disciples if you love me you'll obey my commands and my command is this Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15. My command is for you to be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1, 8. My command is for you to be my witness. My command is for you to preach to the lost. My command is for you to go. Go into that snowstorm and make disciples. So I ask you this morning do we have. A passion for the lost? Or do we have a lost passion? Now how does Titus 2 fit into all of this? Well, let's take a look. This is God's word. It's our scripture passage for this morning. It's God's message for you and me. Titus chapter 2. Sorry, my bookmark. Verse 1 and following. As for you, Titus... Promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith, and they must be filled with love and with patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, They should teach what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands, and then they will not bring shame on the word of God. The word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now this book, short little book of Titus, it's, it's really, uh, it's almost like a, a pastor's manual. It's, it's Paul, who's an elderly apostle, and he is writing a letter to Titus, who's a leader in the church in Crete, and he's giving him instructions about what a healthy church should look like. And so in Titus chapter 1, he spends the whole first chapter talking about the leadership, about how to appoint godly leaders, how to preach God's word faithfully, and also how to silence false teachers It's not something we talk about, but that is the responsibility of good leadership. Preaching God's word, ordaining good, godly, qualified leaders, and then silencing the false teachers. And now we get to Titus chapter 2, and Paul broadens his scope, and he talks about the whole church. What does a healthy church look like? And so there's instructions to older men, and there's instructions to older women, and there's instructions to young men and to young women. There's instructions to slaves, and uh, some of you who work for a living, you feel like slaves to your boss. So some of that still uh, applies. And, and there's even a passage in Titus that talks about how to deal with problem people in the church. Because guess what? <laughs> guess what? Every single book in our New Testament, all the letters that were written, every single one of them was written to a church that had problems. Like, that's why they wrote the letters. It was because these churches, the church in Corinth, had problems. The church in Ephesus had problems. The church in Crete had problems. The church in Swift Current has problems. And so there's some instructions here on how to deal with that. And then right here, Paul has three qualifiers, right? Three purposes. Why do we do these things? Why should a church be healthy? Number one, Titus 2.5, to not bring shame on God's word. Did you know that you and I, by the way that we live, can bring shame on the Word of God? It's not an ordinary book. Titus 2, eight to shame those who oppose the Christian message. We're supposed to be actively engaged in apologetics, in talking to people who oppose our message. And the way that we, uh, the way that we deal with them primarily is just by the quality of our lives. And then Titus 2.10, to make God's teaching attractive. To make God beautiful. This is how you must live. To not dishonor God's word, to gently rebuke the disobedient, and to demonstrate the saving power of Jesus Christ. These are not optional. They're they're not negotiable. They are the basics for the church in Crete. They are the basics for the Bridgeway Community Church in 2020. If the church is to obey our mandate, to make disciples, then this is how the older people in a church are supposed to live. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and they must be filled with love. They must be filled with patience. The first thing that this points out is that even the older people in the church must be taught. This is very important because all of us, as we get a little older, we start thinking we've arrived. Right? Back in 1 Timothy, Paul even talks to young Timothy in a different leader in a different church about how the rebuke of an older man might be necessary and, and if it is, this is what he says, don't rebuke an older man sharply but rather appeal to him as a father you see the assumption there the assumption there is that older men are going to sin they aren't perfect they must be taught and sometimes even rebuked and Paul says when this becomes necessary not if but when and do it kindly Confronting an older person on his sins is supposed to be done graciously, but it is to be done. Now, we put that in context because Scripture tells us over and over again to honor the elderly. Leviticus 19.32, Job 12.12, Psalm 71, Psalm 92. Our Scriptures are full of how we must honor the elderly. But here, the instructions are that an older man must be worthy of that honor. They must be worthy of that respect. And so on the one hand, those of you who are younger must respect the older generation. You must honor them. But on the other hand, you young people are responsible to hold the older people accountable for their behavior, to hold them accountable for their maturity and for their godliness. Now, this is hard. I get it. Like some of you people who are young, the older people in the church are like your mom and dad. Maybe even your grandpa and your grandma. And you're looking at me and you're going, there's no way that I'm sitting down with dad to tell him he's out of line. I feel the horns of the dilemma that you are on. How do I tell my grandpa that the way that he's acting is not the way that Jesus wants him to act? How do I tell the older generation that we need a church that makes disciples in the next generation? We can't have a church that is stuck in 1750 because that church is no longer relevant in our society. We need to preach God's word that never changes into today's world that's always changing. And so how do I do that? How do I do that in a way that is both loving and respectful respectful but also in a way that he actually listens to because when I approach my 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 older the older men in my church and I try and say things lovingly and respectfully they just they take it as advice oh thank you very much and they just go on living how do I how do I do this well scripture gives you these principles but the one thing that it does tell you is it says don't be silent don't sweep it under the rug Don't give in in order to avoid conflicts because the people who are losing out in all of this are the people who don't yet know Jesus. It tells you that you must do it, but that you must do it in a certain way. And here's here's my challenge to those of you like me who are older. How on earth do you hear these young punks? right? Like, how, 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 do you, how do you listen to this younger person when they challenge you on your thoughts and your behaviors and your attitudes? You have way more experience than they do. You've lived way longer. You might even have more education. Who do they think they are? How do you listen when a younger person rebukes you? I'm kind of sad that Patricia and, and Tim um, couldn't make it this, evening, this morning because I, I asked Patricia this this week, I asked her, I said, how would you react if, if Michael sat down and said, I love you, Mom, but you're out of line? <laughs> and, and to her credit, she admitted how hard that would be. Like, I'm sorry, I changed your diaper. Who are you to... <laughs> yeah, like... Seriously, right? And some of you older people, that's how, that's how you, you might take some rebuke from someone who's not your child, but, but how does your child tell you? That, like, my goodness. How do I respond when Pastor Darren challenges me? Like, look at that guy sitting there with his big grin. He's still wet behind the ears. He's young enough to be my son for crying out loud. It's true, he so. He's not young enough to be Elaine's son. He's young enough to be my son. Make sure we clarify that. Here's one thing that I do know I know this. It is godly young men like Michael and like Darren, they're the future of the church. I am not. I'm an older man, and my role has shifted. My role is not to create a church that I like, to put my own preferences forward, to demand my own way. It never really was in the first place, but especially now that I am older. I tell people the moment that you have children church should stop being about you and should be about how do I get this young child that's been entrusted to me? How do I raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? How do I make them be more passionate for Jesus than I was? How do I, how do I encourage them as they are witnesses in their school and, and bringing young people to the Lord? How do I do that? How do I make sure that my children are better followers of Jesus than I am? My role is to live a godly life that is an example to them. My role is to listen when a younger person comes and has a rebuke for me. My role is to pour myself into them, pointing them not to me, but to Jesus. My role is to make disciples. Every... Older man needs to set his goal to finish well, like Caleb, to fight the good fight, to run the race diligently, to keep the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7, every older man should be able to say to the younger man, let me show you how to live this Christian life. Let me mentor you. Let me listen to you because even older people must be taught. None of us have arrived we're all in this together. Let's carry on in Titus 2. Similarly, it says, and basically what similarly means, in the same way, everything that we just said about older men also applies to older women. So older men, you can if your wife wasn't listening, you can tell her about it when you get home. Verse 9, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Interesting that he throws that in there, right? Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands. Right? Men are hard to love. You, need, you women need to be training each other on how to do it. Right? Do I hear an amen? Lee's nodding at me. Okay, good. I'm going to keep going. These older women must train the younger women. To love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. See, one of the things that marked the early church that made it stand out from society around them was the society around them was pretty cruel. And if you had some sort of problem, (laughs) you were hooped, you were sunk. And one of the things that marked the early church was how they treated the outcasts, how they treated the people on the margins, how we treat the people that nobody else likes, how we love the lame ducks, how we reach out to... You can tell a lot about any group of people, any group of people, by how they treat their most vulnerable. Okay? And Scripture tells us over and over again what a blessing godly older women are supposed to be. That They can be such a blessing in our church. In Acts 6, in 1 Timothy 5, here in Titus 2. You know, in Proverbs 31, it says King Lemuel learns wisdom, not from his dad, but from his mom. Proverbs 31.1. Look at Anna in the temple. We're coming into the Christmas season. It's snowing out there, and pretty soon we're going to have our fall decorations gone and Christmas decorations up, and it's, it's coming. And one of the stories is the story of Zechariah and, 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 and Elizabeth, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But, but Anna in the temple is an old lady, Anna and Simeon. Maybe you remember them. Anna's 84 years old, and it says she never leaves the temple. She day and night serves with fasting and prayer, and, and that's, that's, what, that's what God is calling older women to be. reverent. You know what that means? To be like a priest in your behavior. That's what God is calling the old, the kind of older woman who lives a godly life, who has a sacred character, who is priest-like in her behavior. Older women can be such a blessing in the church. But I ask you again, how are they to be a blessing? Are they a blessing when they simply gather around with other older ladies and drink wine and gossip about other people? Is that when they're a blessing? Or are, are they a blessing when they're spending all of their time and all of their energy on their own children who live far away and spending all their time on the phone and on the internet and, and not blessing their church because they have no energy left? How are older women to be a blessing? Are they a blessing When they deliberately and and consciously and intentionally hear the call to make disciples, and they take that seriously, and they start investing their lives, not into the women that are their own age, not their own peers. Here it specifically says that the older women are supposed to make disciples of the younger women. They pour their lives into the next generation. The older women are to teach the younger women. You want to know what one of the greatest blessings in a church is? It's godly older people. But do you want to know what one of the biggest struggles and one of the greatest difficulties in a church is? It's ungodly, older people. And so the message that God has for you this morning, for those of you who are young, is this. Honor the elderly. Make disciples of them. Teach them. Rebuke them, if necessary, because older people who are godly are an incredible blessing in our church. And the message that God has this morning, for those of you who are older, is this. Make disciples, not just of your own generation. Make disciples of the young. Strive to set an example for them in in what being a follower of Jesus looks like. Live wisely. Be filled with love and patience. Teach others what is good, and then you will not bring shame to the word of God. You still have so much to offer your church if you bring them Jesus. So I want to bring this home, real specific, right here this morning, Bridgeway community church, and, and here's why I want to make this as practical and as down-to-earth and as impactful for you as I possibly can. Here's why. See, I had a friend, and his name was Bob. And Bob ministered in a rural church in Saskatchewan. And his church was ingrown. Everything they did was for the people who were already there. They stopped making Disciples And new people stopped coming to their church. And I think it was about 2005, the Evangelical Free Church in Herbert closed its doors for good. I had a friend named Ernie. Ernie pastored a church in rural Saskatchewan in Foam Lake. And that church became ingrown. Everything that they did was for the people who were already there. Let's make ourselves comfortable. And new people stopped coming to that church. They stopped making disciples. And in, around about 2009, I think it was, the, the church in Foam Lake closed its doors for good. And I have a friend named Donald. And Donald is pastoring a church in urban Manitoba in Winnipeg. And his church is dying. He's my age, and he is the youngest person in his church. And the church has stopped making disciples. And one day soon, that church will close its doors for good. And I have a friend named Annette. And I have a friend named Michael. And I have a friend named Ray. All of them pastors in dying churches. And there is one disease that causes more churches to die than any other disease. There's a disease in the church that is more deadly than COVID-19. Even if a church is dedicated to the Son of God and loves Jesus and puts great Bible verses up on their walls, they may not... And even if a church is committed to the Word of God, and even if we memorize Scripture and we read through the Bible, my goodness... If a church stops making disciples, if a church loses its mandate, it's going to die. Even the churches that are dedicated to Jesus and love God's word, if they're not making disciples, they're going to die. And God has no obligation to keep Bridgeway Community Church alive if we're not obeying his mandate. So I want you to see this. I asked Patricia this week to go through our church list and to give me a breakdown of the ages of the people in our church. So she went through, I think, the directory, right? Kind of figuring out who's, who, 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 who calls this their Home, And it was incredible to me. First of all, if you look at the very first bar, we counted 46 children in our church, ages 0 to 12. 46 of them. So some of you have been fruitful and multiplied. That's good. You've heard the mandate of God and you're bringing up the next generation of children. That's good. They're the future of our church and we need to make sure that we're deliberately making our children followers of Jesus. Now, the next bar over is our teenagers, 13 to 19 years old. There's 20 teenagers who call Bridgeway home. That's that's a little on the low side, right? That's actually our shortest bar. That's the lowest demographic. That's not good. And we need to figure out how to make this group followers of Jesus and then encourage them to be reaching into their school and into their neighborhoods with their friend group and bringing people to Jesus. Look at the third one, ages 20 to 35. There's 34 of you in that category, age 20 to 35, maybe 13, 14 couples, maybe another 6 to 8 or so singles. And this is the group that we need to be reaching. This is the age range that we need to target if our church is going to grow. This is where we want to focus. If we don't reach this group, and if we can't have new people coming into our church from this age group, our church is going to die. It's just a matter of time. Because we really aren't making disciples as well as we should. And so we need to commit ourselves fresh to God's mandate. We need to be making disciples. Now let's keep looking on. Ages 36 to 50. Often the group that has the most power in a church. We counted 33 of you. My dad once said, the church is full of people aged 35 to 50 who've achieved places and positions of authority and then forgot why they wanted it in the first place. And so for those of you who are in this age group, if you're not faithful leaders, then Bridgeway's doomed. And if you're in this age range and you're not involved somewhere, somehow, as a leader or teaching others, whether they're the youth or leading a life group or volunteering for kids, king's kids or, or whatever, then, then, then why not? Because the future of this church depends on you. You need to be making disciples. Ages 51 to 65, this is the age range that I fall into. Like one to this side of me and four on that side. I'm your lead pastor and I'm old. There's 36 in this group and we need to be making disciples in the next two lower groups and then we need to be stepping back and letting them lead. If we continue to hold on to leadership positions, the next generation of of believers, disciples in our church, they're just going to slip away and stop coming or they're going to become leaders in other churches. Isn't it better to keep them here and, and grow our own church? We need to deliberately make ourselves obsolete by investing ourselves in the next generation and then stepping back to let them lead. You know how you develop a leader, right? You, you tell them how to do it. You, you show them how to do it. You, you do it with them. You let them do it and you do give feedback and then you let go and, and you let them lead. And, of course, you're all looking at that last bar. That's a pretty tall bar, age 66 plus. There's 85 people in our church, Bridgeway Community Church, who are ages 66 and older. Like, there's 254 people that we counted, all told, and out of those 254 who call Bridgeway our church, 85 are over the age of 65, Remember I told you Italy was the oldest country in Europe and one out of every four people was a senior citizen? Here at Bridgeway, one out of every three of us, one third of our congregation, is a senior citizen. So man, we really need you seniors to be godly men and women and to encourage us who are not yet seniors to make all the changes that are necessary in this church in order to reach the next generation. I want to break it down just a little bit more simply. You see, in our Bibles, in our passage for this morning, in Titus chapter 2, Paul divides it between older people and younger people. Just two divisions. And it's interesting because he does make this division not based on spiritual maturity, but based on age. How many candles there are on your birthday cake, right? Younger people and and older people. So let's, let's do the same thing. Here at Bridgeway, okay? Let's just think about this for a moment, okay? First question you're going to ask is, okay, who's young and who's old? Because my brain still tells me that I'm 17. That's how us older people get into problems, right? Our bodies tell us what our age we really are, and our brain goes, no, you're 17. You can jump all three stairs to the bottom. No, you can't, your body says, right? So it's not what we think because our minds fool us. It's what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say about younger and older people? I I, I looked, and the clearest dividing line that I could find in Scripture between old and young is part of the Christmas story when Zechariah and Elizabeth give birth to John the Baptist. Maybe you know the story. Zechariah and Elizabeth are are old, and Zechariah is ministering in the temple, and an angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah protests. He says to the angel, how can I have a son when I am old, past the age of having children? He's too old to have kids. So that's the clearest biblical definition that I can find uh, of of that line between someone who's old and someone who is young. Someone who is young can still potentially have children. Someone who's old is past that age of having children. So I, I put that... At about 35. You can argue with me later. Send me angry letters. Whatever. But here's what it looks like at Bridgeway. People who are young. Who are just starting the process of, of becoming disciples. And making disciples. There's a there's hundred of them. And, and people who are older. People who should be making disciples. Allowing the church to reach the next generation of believers. Setting an example for the younger believers. In love and grace and purity of conduct. There's 154 of us. 154, 60% of us. So now with that in mind, I want you to just flip back and focus in on your passage in Titus. Just read it over. And maybe take a moment to let scripture sink in. And as you do, particularly note how many times in this short little verse, these five verses, it uses the term teach teach if you have other translations maybe there's synonyms for that word but it's used over and over and over again teach it's critically important the responsibility for the future of our church lies in those of us who are older we need to make disciples we need to teach the younger generations and then we need to step back and let them take our church into their future we need a fresh commitment to God's mandate to go and make disciples. Because if we don't, there's a funeral for Bridgeway Community Church sometime in our future. Churches that are committed to God's Son, they can die. Churches that are committed to God's Word, they can die. Churches that are committed to God's mandate won't die they'll thrive they'll make disciples their church will change in order to be real and relevant and dynamic preaching the gospel of jesus into the next generation and god will bless us here at bridgeway community church as we respond in a time of pandemic by returning not to the normal that we knew last year but returning instead to the basics A commitment to God's Son, Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. He is the center, the foundation of our church, our cornerstone. A commitment to to God's Word. We love the Bible. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We want to be studying it so that it can shape us and direct us. But a commitment to God's mandate, which is to go and make disciples. Not sit and make excuses. Go and make disciples. May God bless us all, old and young, as we follow him because he's the only one who's worth following. He's more valuable than anything else in this life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they come up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just respond in song. As you stand up and put your mask on, I just want to encourage you to sing with us. Please stand with us.